Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Father God, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus, and uh, we thank you that He... Um, is truly God, and that we can trust Him for our salvation. And uh, we thank you for the book of Colossians, and that we can uh, study it here together tonight. And uh, just pray that you grow our understanding of your word and help us to uh, see it clearly, and uh, that you'd help us as we seek to grow in our walk with the Lord, and uh, that you uh, would guide us as we Uh, read and seek to believe it and live according to it. And I just pray for those who couldn't be here tonight and uh, pray that you continue to watch over them as your children and uh, just help us as we seek to walk with you, uh, that we would trust you and uh, just continually find you uh, showing yourself faithful through anything that comes in life. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity tonight and pray that you bless our time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, there's a handout in the back if you want to grab that. So uh, we'll go through the the background, uh, just a summary version of what the book of Colossians is about and why it was written. So we've covered uh, this every week, but the reason Paul wrote it is he received news of the state of the church, having never been there, And uh, the news is is there's uh, false teachers entering the church and promising things uh, that people can experience God by doing certain things, and they can be blessed by God by doing certain things. So it's kind of this ritualism where if I do these certain things, then God will will bless me and give me what I want, essentially. And uh, the other promise is mysticism. So if I do the right things, then I'll experience God on my terms. And so our text uh, that we'll study tonight is somewhat the heart of this argument where Paul draws their attention away from that. He's saying, don't be deceived by these doctrines of men. Follow after Christ. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Let's follow him. Um, And it talks about how we're complete in him. So... Our theme verse uh, for the class is verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, and Paul writes there, if I can find 9, For in him, talking about Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So Paul's writing to them to correct uh, their thinking that they don't need these other ways, and much of the letter he's commendating them for what they've been doing well and uh, he's just trying to keep them on track and not distracted by these other false teachings. So the theme for the class is life in our supreme and sufficient Savior. So Paul throws in a ton of Christology here showing how uh, Jesus is the best. He's, he's the greatest, and he's all sufficient for our needs in the Christian life. Uh, our class outline, we've broken it up into two uh, general parts. There's not a, uh, you know, a direct break. There, there's flow over in both sides. But generally, the first 
couple chapters focus on uh, what we are to think, uh, what Christ is like as the preeminent one, and then part two gets more into now that we're thinking correctly about the Christian life and who we are in Jesus, this is how you are to live. So we'll get to that in a few weeks here. So our text, as we just read uh, in verses 9 and 10, focuses on the fullness of Jesus. So the theme for uh, these verses we'll look at is live the fullness of life in Jesus. So an illustration that uh, falls short (laughs) uh, is this cup here. So imagine that the kids have island night tonight. So you look outside, it's not an island. But imagine that we're on an island and we're looking out at the ocean and the ocean is just so vast and it seems limitless and it goes on forever and there's just a ton of water. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a lot of water. And then you look at this cup and it's very limited in the liquid it can contain. And so imagine the, the fullness of the ocean uh, as you look at it. And then you go down and you dip your, your cup in the ocean and the fullness of the ocean kind of combines with the cup. It goes into the cup when, it, when it's dipped in. But the cup can never contain the fullness of the ocean, but it can you know, have some of it within it. Uh, so that's kind of an illustration of what the Christian life is like as we're in Jesus, is all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. So because Jesus is limitless, um, because he's infinite, he's able to, within his, himself, his own body, hold the fullness of God. Because we're not that way, when we're, when we're in Jesus, when we, when we live our life in Jesus, we kind of dip in and are able to uh, experience the fullness of God as we're in Jesus. Does that illustration kind of make sense? So when Paul says uh, in verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that word fullness is the same word used in the next verse where he says, and you are complete in him. So that complete word is it's saying that we're, we're filled in him. So it's that same idea that we can, in Jesus, be filled uh, with God because, because we're in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's not the same sense because we're not limitless. We're just a cup with walls. And obviously the ocean's not limitless, but you get the illustration. Uh, Jesus is. And so we can experience uh, the fullness of God as we're full in Jesus. So the text we'll look at explains some of what that means, but we're going to back up now that we kind of understand uh, this illustration, and I, I got this from somebody, so we'll, we'll read his quote later. But hopefully that kind of gives us some direction to think through what this text is talking about. So coming from their perspective, the Colossians are being tempted to find other ways to experience God. And Paul's calling them back and saying, no, you have access to the fullness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Find your fullness. Be complete in Him. Stop going to these other things. Don't be tempted away from them. Uh, Continue in the Lord. Uh, So that's our first 
point here in verses 8 through 10 is find fullness in Jesus. So Paul's going to start out with a warning in verse 8. He says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So he starts out right away uh, warning them that there's these other ways, these other man-made paths that people have tried to come up with to experience God. So the idea here is beware of empty think thinking. So he talks about uh, being aware, beware, uh, have your eyes open, uh, don't be cheated, and he talks about philosophy here. So I don't think he's talking about philosophy as a whole in thinking through the gaining of knowledge and thinking about why things are the way they are. He goes on to describe what kind of philosophy that they are to avoid. It's the philosophy, um, an empty deceit, that's according to the tradition of men. So it's philosophy that's directly taking them away from following what Christ has for them in the church. So notice, uh, right after the empty deceit, it says, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So the philosophy, the bad philosophy he's pointing out is in contrast to what's according to Christ. So he's kind of drawing a, a contrast there to say it's not all, like, all knowledge and seeking to understand why and how the world works is bad. He's not saying that. He's saying things that are not according to Christ, things that are empty and deceitful and only follow the tradition of men are the wrong way. And we need to be on guard against those. Uh, he says, according to the basic principles of the world, and uh, that comes up several times in the epistles, and it's kind of a weird uh, thing that we're not positive of what he's talking about, but the general idea there is uh, it's like the basic elements of things that make up the world. So it would be like examples of how this word has been used is like letters in the alphabet or uh, song notes in a song. Um, you know, we would say like atoms in the universe. They say elements of the world. So it's kind of these, these things that have come based on man's tradition of religion. So, you know, we would think of people who, you know, worship the earth or, or follow after wrong ways of experiencing what God's like, um, if that makes sense. So he starts out with this warning uh, to be on guard against those who are trying to lead them the wrong way, not according to Christ. Uh, and then he's going to jump into kind of the positive of what we should be doing. So we're, we're watching out for the negative, the things that aren't according to Christ, and then we're uh, seeking to live in the fullness of Christ. So we've already talked about this um, some. Paul notes in verse 9, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So this is a beautiful declaration of the deity of Christ. Uh, there's no other anything that the Godhead fully dwells in bodily. Jesus is unique in this way. Uh, God the Father and God the Spirit uh, never took on a body. And so Jesus here 
uh, is, uh, this is referring to what we sometimes call the hypostatic union. So Jesus is truly God and truly man. So he's been God for eternity past in heaven, and then when he and the other members of the Trinity decided to send him as a child, which we celebrate at Christmas, uh, to die on the cross for our sins, he took on flesh. And he didn't lose any part of who he was as God. He continued in that, and that's what this verse directly refers to, is he is truly God. So no part of his godness uh, ceased to exist. Uh, we talk about in Philippians 2 how he humbled himself and he set aside uh, the independent use of some of his divine attributes temporarily. Uh, so he, he was still fully God, but there's parts in the Gospels that we read where it says that, you know, there's parts where it says he didn't know what they were thinking, and then in a different book, in a different story, it says, and he knew their thoughts. So how is he at some points omniscient and at some points not omniscient? And as we studied in the book of John, uh, Jesus very much so did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he, he set aside some of those things, uh, was anointed with the Spirit, and did his miracles and, and power uh, through the working of the Spirit in him. So that's why when you get to uh, the Pharisees condemning him for casting out demons by the power of Satan, he says, uh, you know, you're you're sinning against the Holy Spirit because you're attributing the work that the Spirit is doing through me to Satan, and that won't be forgiven. And so that's where you get the unforgivable sin. So that's a whole other issue. But uh, in the life of Jesus, we see the uniqueness of the only person who's ever been truly God and truly man. And this allowed Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. If he wasn't truly God, uh, he would be sinful like us. He would be tainted by sin. It would not be the perfect sacrifice. And so because he was both uh, truly God and truly man, he was able to take our place on the cross uh, when he died for our sins. So verse 9 is just a great short sentence uh, that explains uh, who the person of Jesus is. And he continues to be this person. Uh, he, uh, it's present tense, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus, when he died and was resurrected, continued to have a body. It's a glorified body now, but he still, uh, you know, he hasn't gone back to the way that he was before. He still has a body that we will eventually have that glorified body when we're resurrected as well. So he continues to uh, live that way, and the fullness of God still dwells in him. And then as we get to verse 10, we see that we can enjoy the fullness of Jesus. We can enjoy the fullness of God because we're in him. So in verse 10, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So again, that word complete there is the same word as fullness in the verse before. So it's kind of the idea that you have um, been filled and are being filled in him. It's a, it's a perfect verb. 
So it, it, it's something that happened in the past, it's been accomplished, but there's still things in the present that uh, continue to happen for us. Uh, and that's just a huge, huge deal. <laughs> uh, you think about um, what an awesome blessing that is to be in Jesus and to be able to be full in Him. And again, we're, you know, we're just a, a cup. You know, we, we look at the ocean and the ocean's beautiful. Like people spend lots of money to spend time at the ocean and live on the ocean or whatever. Um, Jesus is awesome. And we get to, to dip in and experience uh, some of what he's like. Um, the last little phrase there, it says, who is the head of all principality and power? Uh, in Paul's epistles, this most often refers to uh, angelic uh, power or uh, structure, uh, government within, within the angels. So it's a statement of Jesus is better than angels, essentially. So he's over them. He's the head. He's the authority over them. So we see that in uh, texts like Job 1, where Satan and other angels come and appear before uh, God. And, and then we read about in Ephesians 2, where it talks about Jesus has been exalted over all principality and power as well. And this... Uh, this becomes a big deal as we read through the rest of chapter 2. Uh, so look at verse 18. It says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his mind. So this is talking about uh, how some of the false teaching there is saying that you can experience God religiously by coming to him through angels or by worshiping angels. You can experience uh, Jesus through that. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus is over all those things. And because you're in him, you can directly, being in him, experience your relationship with Jesus. You don't have to go through an angel or worship angels to get there. So there's no need for mysticism uh, because we are in Jesus. Uh, and then I have the quote here from Kent Hughes on where I got this illustration, so I'll read it for us. It says, My wife and I once stood on the shore of the vast Pacific Ocean, two finite dots alongside a seemingly infinite expanse. As we stood there, we reflected that if I were to take a pint jar and allow the ocean to rush into it, in an instant, my jar would be filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But I could never put the fullness of the Pacific Ocean into my jar. Thinking of Christ, we realize that because he is infinite, he can hold all the fullness of deity. And whenever one of us finite creatures dips the tiny vessels of our lives into him, we instantly become full of his fullness. And then he also points out later, the capacity of our containers is of great importance. Our souls are elastic, so to speak, and there are no limits to possible capacity. We can always open to hold more and more of his fullness. The walls can always stretch further. The roof can always rise higher. The floor can always hold more. The more we receive of his fullness, the more we can receive. So he kind of says it in a, in a cool way, but we, it's so easy to think that we 
get it, that we get who Jesus is, we get uh, what it means to be in him, we get what all the salvation blessings are, uh, but we, we will never understand the fullness of Jesus in this lifetime, and maybe not in the next, I don't know. Um, but what an awesome opportunity to, to be able to go to his word and to understand who he is and to dip into the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus. Uh, does anybody have any questions or thoughts to add to uh, verses 6 through 9? So we've looked through that. Yeah, Linda. You might appreciate more the fullness of Christ when we know the emptiness of ourselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. really good. Thank you, Linda. Good. Any other thoughts or questions along with that? I can tell Dell's thinking about it. <laughs> I've got two examples, but yeah. it'd be a distraction. So. All right. You should tell me after. That's not fair. It's not fair? Well, he... he well, uh, I, I could tell you what they are. Um, yep. Number one, I'm reminded of a <clears throat> someone who uh, lived with a, a young lady who lived with a young man mm-hmm. for years, had kids, and thought everything was wonderful. And within the last year, year and a half, they decided to get married. And she exclaimed, and she grew up in a church, so she knew what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. Was even a award winner with scripture memory. But she told her mother after she was married what a wonderful thing it is now to know they're committed to one another mm. and how that is world changing. And then I was thinking about an article I read this week uh, in a well-known periodical talking about how um, there's some young ladies now who have been busily pursuing their careers and they're finding that they have an opportunity to become this, the uh, girlfriend of somebody who's happy to have the home and take care of the house. And what, and they're promoting as a new thing. Without commitment. Sure. And um, so those are two examples of mm-hmm. the world trying to mimic some of what God teaches without understanding mm-hmm. the fullness and then never realizing the benefit of his plan. Yeah. That's what I was, the conflicted stories. That's right. what I was thinking about. Yeah, and there's someone who has a story about their salvation who, you know, they felt a longing or a hole and 
And it's not until they trusted in Christ that they were satisfied. I don't remember who it was, but yeah. good. Uh, let's jump into uh, the next few verses here. So, you know, these, these verses that we just studied are amazing to, to realize that we have uh, access to the fullness of God in Christ. And not, not for... Uh, it, it's a way that, that God is glorified, that when we walk with Christ and trust in Him, uh, it, it brings glory to God. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, moved and like found something that you had lost before, like under some furniture or something, and you're like, oh, I forgot we had that. Um, or, you know, I didn't know where that, where that, we lost that at or whatever. And so I've said before, like, if something falls behind a big piece of furniture, I'm like, ah, we'll find it when we move. Like, just as <laughs> I don't want to dig that out right now and, you know, move the dresser or whatever. Uh, but it's easy uh, to do that with our, our walk with the Lord and the blessings that we have in our life in Christ. Um, so I think these next few verses uh, discuss the uh, blessings that we have in Christ and some of the, the fullness that he's filled us with uh, as we learn to walk with him. And it's kind of like, you know, when you drop something and then you find it later, it's like, oh, I forgot I had that. And sometimes we can forget some of these blessings that we have in Christ and they stop affecting the way we live. And it's not like we'd ever deny them. As we read through these, it's like, yeah, I believe that. But it's easy to stop living according to that um, in our lives, even as we uh, review them regularly and, and uh, things like that. So here we're going to see... Uh, another part of living the fullness of life in Jesus is to remember the fullness of life in Jesus. Uh, it's easy to forget, um, but first we need to understand it and then remember it. So these are kind of four ways that Paul points out here uh, to kind of explain uh, what the fullness of life in Jesus is like. So the first one is, in Jesus we are freed from the power of sin. So in verse 11... It says, in, you were all, sorry, in him you were also <coughs> circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So it continues that theme of being in Christ, and it's going to kind of walk through four ways uh, that we see that play out. So the first way is that we've received the circumcision with a circumcision made without hands. So... This isn't necessarily a new thing to the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament discusses how they were supposed to be circumcised of heart as well. Um, so it's definitely not talking about physical circumcision because it's talking about circumcision made without hands. So we may think of it in terms of regeneration. It may be referring to, uh, we're not totally sure, but the idea is that the result of it is that uh, we've been had the body putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Christ has worked in us so that we're no longer uh, bound to sin. We're no longer slaves to our own sinful nature and sinful desires. So before we trusted in Christ, we were uh, bound to our own desires. So. Uh, 
I've heard the illustration told where, you know, I could stand up here with a banana and a candy bar and show a kid, and which, which one is the kid gonna choose? Probably the candy bar. And they're free to choose the banana, but they choose the candy bar. Why do they choose the candy bar? Because that's what they want. And why, when you're presented with that choice, would you not choose the candy bar if you're a little kid? So that's the idea that that's how we all are apart from Christ, is we're bound to our own wants and desires. And before we're believers, it's only tainted uh, by our sinful nature. And so we just choose to please ourselves. And it, it really flows into everything, where even serving others becomes selfish, where uh, you know, we can convince ourselves of other things. But uh, without Christ, no one does good. And so... Uh, we're thankful for this circumcision of Christ. So we've been set free by Jesus uh, by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. So in this, I think it's referring to a positional thing that happened. So we've been freed from the power of sin over us, but it now enables us to be free uh, to, to not do those things anymore. So it's given us uh, freedom of desire to now choose what Jesus wants us to choose instead of what we want to choose. So that's the first one there, is that in Jesus we are freed from the power of sin by the circumcision of Christ. And then verses 12 through 13, uh, it goes on to describe, uh, "...buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." So we'll start with that. Uh, now it's talking about baptism, and because the first part was talking about circumcision without hands, this is most likely talking about not physical baptism, but the, the spiritual baptism that happens when we trust in Christ, where we're baptized into the body of Christ, and it's a, it's a spiritual thing that happens. And it's what we show in our physical baptism. When we go in front of our church and get baptized, we're showing, we're confessing, I have been buried with Christ spiritually and raised to new life spiritually with Him, and I want to proclaim that publicly uh, in front of my church family. So, it's talking about spiritual baptism here, but uh, physical baptism is great too. Uh, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God. So, are we the ones that save ourselves, that baptize ourselves, regenerate ourselves. No, it's, it's the work of God that's done based upon faith. Um, and then uh, it says, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So raised Jesus from the dead. So he's the one who raised Christ from the dead. He's the one who uh, saves us and regenerates us. And then the first part of verse 13 there, it talks about, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Uh, he has made alive together with him. Uh, so here it's showing uh, more of that picture of baptism that uh, we, or sorry, not, not our baptism, that we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, and then he made us alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses. So God is the one who, who gives us life, who regenerates us, who baptizes us with the baptism of the Spirit, and saves us. 
So that's the, the second blessing. So some of the ways this, this plays out, um, obviously in verse 11, we're freed from the power of sin over us. And now in verses 12 and 13, uh, we're given new life. We're no longer dead in our sins. We're alive in Jesus. So thinking about how to dip into the fullness of our life in Christ, we start living not as dead people, slaves to our sin, but alive uh, through our uh, circumcision in Christ. Uh, going on to letter C, in Jesus we are forgiven of our sins. So that last phrase in verse 13, having forgiven you all trespasses. Wow, that is a great, <laughs> a great couple words right there. You know, you can pick any sin that you've ever done. If you've trusted in Christ, it's covered in Christ. He's forgiven us all our trespasses. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like in verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So this is just a cool way describing our forgiveness. Uh, so it describes uh, a handwriting of requirements that was against us and that it's been wiped out. So the, a way to think through this is you think about like a debt that you might have. Um, so maybe like student loan debt, uh, car payment, um, you know, a house mortgage, things like that. These are things that weigh against us, things that uh, we're, we have to pay or the things are taken away. Like we're, we're bound to do that. And in regards to our sin, that, that great debt that we owe, uh, these requirements that are against us, They've been wiped out, they've been washed clean, and then it says they've been taken out of the way and nailed to the cross. And that's just a beautiful picture of our sin debt being placed on Jesus and him being nailed to the cross with our debt uh, in such a way that it, it describes our sin debt being nailed to the cross. So you think about uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he, he took our sin on him in a way that he became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. And so our, our sin debt has been nailed to the cross in Jesus. And that's such a freeing thing in the Christian life because we can so easily be haunted by our past sin. It can lead us to depression. It can lead us to... Uh, not trusting in current forgiveness from Christ, uh, not having trusted in his past forgiveness. All these things in these verses, we're seeing that when we remember uh, the fullness of life in Jesus, when we dip into these blessings that we have in Jesus, uh, we're, we're free from our debt to sin. It's been nailed to the cross in Jesus. It's over. Yeah, Jim. One of the struggles I think we as humanity have and I think is always part of some kind of a conversation, is that we have a sin nature. Mm -hmm. Therefore, well, if God sees me through the righteous blood of Jesus Christ, he does not see my sin nature. Right. And I think sometimes we drag that along with us, saying, well, he sees me as righteous, but I still have a sin nature, therefore. And I think sure. what he's trying, Paul's trying to do here is tell these people in Colossae, you are free. 
Right. God has paid the penalty. There is salvation in Christ alone. And through that, you should not be weighed down with all the things others are going to tell you, such as you have a sin nature, therefore you're always going to sin. Well, God doesn't look at it that way, praise the Lord. Yeah. At least from my perspective and my understanding, he doesn't. That's my opinion. But I think scripture supports it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when, when God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Um, so I just, uh, I love the Lord Jesus. And like at his baptism, when the voice comes from heaven and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, Jesus, it's, it's the fullness of Godhead dwelling bodily in Jesus uh, in complete righteousness. And the Father is delighted in him. And we receive that delight because we've received that righteousness of Jesus. And so it's so easy to think, uh, you know, of God the Father looking down and being disappointed in us and, uh, you know, wanting to punish us because we've sinned, all these things. Um, and I think sometimes there is, you know, disappointment and discipline. But when he looks at us positionally, he delights in us because he sees uh, the blood of his Son having washed away our sin and given us the righteousness of Jesus. And it's just a beautiful thing. And yeah, it's just so freeing for the Christian life. Because instead of being you know, drugged down by those things that we've done in the past, uh, we can let go of those things and move on in our walk with the Lord. And uh, you know, we'll probably never forget those things, but they've been nailed to the cross, and uh, we can trust God to have taken care of those on our account with him. Uh, yeah, any other thoughts on those first uh, 11 through 14 there? First couple verses. That, that yeah. happened to me mm -hmm. last week. Um, I didn't, I had a family members all my sins and everything, mm -hmm. and, and I, one of my prayers was, okay, Lord, you know, if people can point, and I'm pointing at them, I have three fingers back, mm -hmm. and what are my, what are the three fingers, and, and you're the one who shows us our sins, right. so what is it, Lord, and so I have that prayer, that's great. And he literally took me through the Bible and I saw every single sin as me. Mm -hmm. Yet I see my sin. I, yet I am forgiven because I have Jesus. Right. And it's like, oh my goodness, really? That sin too? You know? Like, and it's like, yep, that one too. And it was amazing yeah. and like you said, freeing. Right. Because I was... I was like, oh no, my family's going to tell me about this sin. And I'm like, but they're right. Go yeah. ahead and tell me. <laughs> That's you awesome. Know? So it's like, yes, you can go ahead and tell me. Thankfully, they didn't. But it was like that freeing moment of. Yeah, coming right. clean with it. Yeah. You can find me on every single page in this Bible where it says sin. Right. Yeah, and that's another thing is like we're, 
because we have this security in Christ taking care of our sin, there's no fear in confession anymore. It's like, yes, I sinned. Will you forgive me? And it's not like, you know, something I'm going to make light of, like we don't want to sin. But, But it's like, I don't have to hide my sin. I can walk in the light because I'm secure in Jesus. And, uh, he has nailed it all to the cross. So, good. Uh, and then the last uh, one here in verse 15 is, in Jesus we are triumphant over the opposition. So Paul says this last thing in verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So again, this principalities and powers is referring to angelic uh, realms, uh, demonic powers. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection and exaltation, has disarmed uh, the principalities and powers. So we don't need to fear uh, what uh, Satan or his demons uh, could do to us. And he tacks on here. He hasn't just disarmed them. He hasn't just defeated them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So this was a common practice uh, in history was when an army defeated another army, they would take the survivors and bring them back to their city and kind of parade them through the city to say, to to humiliate them, but to show, uh, you know, that they had dominated them and beat them. And so it was kind of an honor and uh, shame thing uh, in history there. And so Paul tacks that on to show that uh, you know, he has completely triumphed over them. Uh, there's no way uh, that he could, uh, they could have any power over us. So uh, these are four ways that we can think about um, the blessings that we have when we live our life in the fullness of Jesus. So these things are true of us positionally, but we have to walk with the Lord and choose to do them by faith practically. So they don't uh, happen practically on their own. Uh, it happens when we're, we're humble, when we recognize our sin, and when we walk with the Lord through life. And again, you know, we, we recognize the positional things and say, yeah, I believe that, but it's easy to, to get let off or to think about other things and kind of lose track of and remember uh, that I can live according to these things in joy, uh, without a burden of guilt and depression, and I can move forward and walk with the Lord in life because he has nailed my sins to the cross. Uh, So we'll go ahead and stop in verse uh, 15 there for tonight. Um, uh, That part there is true religion, and we'll get into more of it in chapter 3, but this is what real religion is, is experiencing the fullness of Christ positionally and then our walk with the Lord. And then what we'll see in the upcoming verses is ways that the church in Colossae was seeking religion through mysticism and legalism. So uh, we'll we'll look at that uh, next week when we gather back together. But he's contrasting uh, these two different pursuits of experiencing God and how why would you go anywhere else? Like Jesus has it all. Let's stick with him um, and uh, keep, keep going on. 
just like it says in verse 6 of chapter 2, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So He got us started. Let's keep walking with Him. Um, I have a couple pages there of application, and I touched on the, the themes of them as we went through. So I encourage you to, to read through that on your own uh, sometime this week. But we'll go ahead and uh, stop here, and I'll, I'll pray shortly, and then we can spend some time uh, praying in groups for the Caring Post things. Father God, we thank you for uh, the great kindness that you've shown us in Christ. Uh, we just can't even fathom uh, the fullness of God. And it's just an amazing thing that you've done to cause that to dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we confess that we, we love him and we want to follow him. And we want to uh, be filled with his fullness and uh, to walk with him by faith. And we just pray that you would uh, help us with that as uh, we seek to trust you and to believe uh, that these things you've said of us are true. And uh, we know that we can believe them because they're based in the character and work of Christ. And so we ask that you give us confidence to believe them and walk with Christ. And uh, thank you for our time and your word and the truth of it. And we just pray that you'd help us um, as we get into groups, as we lift up our church family and missionaries in prayer, uh, that you'd be glorified and that you bless our fellowship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.